Welcome to episode three of Swift Unwrapped. I'm JP. And I'm Jesse. So uh, just a bit about me. I run the Coco team at Realm, so the Objective-C and Swift frameworks. And on the side, I love working on Swift tooling, things like SwiftLint, Jazzy, SourceKitten. And uh, Jesse's pretty prolific as well. <laughs> I am an iOS developer currently at Instagram. Uh, you might know me from open source work on GitHub, like JSQ Messages, uh, or the Swift Weekly Brief uh, newsletter. Right, and this podcast is a bit of a commentary on the Swift Weekly Brief newsletter, so uh, make sure to catch that as well. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about uh, something that has been uh, kind of in the Swift news um, for a few weeks or maybe even a few months now um, around source stability and source breaking changes and like what is a source breaking change and how does that affect Swift? And, uh, you know, for end users, if, if you haven't been following, I mean, this is everything surrounding the migration from Swift 2 to Swift 3. Uh, if you've uh, been through that with your own code bases, or if you've heard uh, other uh, people or, or companies talk about this, there are a few talks at uh, different conferences. Uh, it's been a pretty painful migration. All of the um, overlays uh, for the Objective-C APIs have have changed. Uh, that's you know reducing the Objective-C verbosity to make it feel more uh, swifty. The omit needless words proposal is kind of what uh, the impetus for all of this and the the great API transformation blog post uh, is on swift.org site that you can read. Um, so now we're we're in the situation where the the core team has has put everyone through this terrible migration from Swift 2 to Swift 3, this very painful thing. And uh, the goal is to not do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not cause as much pain. And actually, we, we did talk about this uh, episode one, right? How um, there was a lot of community input for this kind of surface level API uh, design and how um, really the, the Swift core team wanted to put the bulk of that effort and kind of pain, if you will, um, up front so that they could uh, kind of put source breaking changes mostly behind them and really focus on the stability of Swift moving forward. So that's kind of where we are now. Right. I think as Chris Latner put it, uh, let's rearrange the deck chairs now and get everything in place and then move forward. Um, That's a great analogy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And like JP just mentioned, uh, most of these changes were proposals from the community, community-driven p- proposals. So you brought it on yourself. Yeah, community-driven <laughs> breakage, really. Yeah. I think it was a great idea from the Swift core team to kind of shift the blame a little bit and say, hey, this is what you asked for. Right, exactly. So uh, it's your own fault. And, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, we're in this together. So uh, I think... Uh, we can start with 
the changes this week, Slava uh, noticed a pretty horrific bug with uh, Swift 3 and Swift 3.1. Do you want to talk about that, JP? Right. Um, so basically the gist of it is that uh, in Swift 3.x, um, or all of the Swift 3 releases up until now, which has mostly just been uh, 3.0, 0.1, 0.2 uh, publicly. Oh, let's backtrack real quick. So to clarify, Swift these Swift releases and the Swift 3.1 release, which is due in spring, this is going to be the first source compatible Swift release. So the the big issue here is that Swift 3.1 uh, due next year, spring 2017, uh, needs to be source compatible with the current Swift 3 versions. Right. The idea there um, being to make it as painless as possible for uh, users with existing Swift 3 code bases to just shift on over to the next Swift version without having to worry too much about their code not compiling. Um, so really focusing on under-the-hood improvements. Um, and and so kind of going back to uh, the issue that Jesse just brought up about this uh, horrific Swift 3 bug, um, really the gist of the bug is that for functions that take a single any argument, uh, so that could be... Um, uh, you know, any Objective-C method, really, that uh, takes in a single Swift ar- argument, the Swift compiler allowed you to omit the parameter label when invoking that function or method. And so you could uh, say it was, you know, um, an Objective-C method sort with parameter by, and then you passed in any, right? Because say you were doing overloading in Objective-C and you could use either an NS predicate or a block or um, a string if you want it to be a property name or something like that. Then you could have called it from Swift 3 um, up until now with uh, just sort and then pass in whatever your any argument was. So omit the label. Um, unfortunately, that is a bug. <laughs> right. And it's it's a bug that uh, is in all likelihood probably used uh, a fair amount in practice in the wild because, hey, if your code compiles, if it runs, um, it's probably really easy to just kind of ignore this in code review, especially given Swift's existing history of how it's treated the Objective-C to Swift automatic conversion where right. a lot of the parameters uh, were unlabeled if it was the first parameter. Yeah, but not only that, the the way that parameter labels are treated in Swift has changed since the beginning. Uh, before you had that god-awful, terribly ugly hash syntax where uh, it'd be like hash and then the parameter label so that you could... What was that for? So you could keep the same... Um, label like external and internal label for that function parameter. Yeah, so so the 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 octothorpe that that kind of hash yeah. symbol uh, was to uh, force the usage of that label, right? So for implicitly unlabeled arguments, you could force it to be labeled at at the call site by using that that symbol. Uh, so yeah, you're right. That certainly changed over time as well. Right. So now, yeah, we have these consistent parameter labels now. Um, where I think they're required. Every single position requires the label uh, or you explicitly opt out with the underscore. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, right. So uh, basically, that's the gist of the bug: is that uh, you could just omit uh, the the parameter label, and the Swift compiler would just happily chug along, no warning, no nothing. Um, I think you'd probably get a warning if you. Uh, had another method or function by that same name without uh, a labeled first parameter. But um, actually, that that might actually be a compiler error because then you basically have uh, functions with the same signature, uh, including types that have slightly different um, uh, call semantics. In any case, it was it was possible and probably very likely that there's a reasonable amount of this code in the wild. Um, and so uh, from there, kind of walk us uh, through kind of the process of how easy is it to just fix this bug, right? Is it just a matter of, of fixing the bug and, and then you're done with it? How does source compatibility play into this? Right. So if the core team were to just fix this bug um, and call it a day, then when Swift 3.1 drops in uh, spring next year, people will download that version of Xcode and run their code and it won't compile. And there have been a few different cases of bugs like this. We can talk about a few more in a minute, but what has to happen now is uh, the, the, the core team just has to live with this bug and they have to accept invalid syntax as valid when running in what will be this new uh, Swift 3 compatibility mode. So if you're if you have this Swift 3.0.1 or .2 code base and uh, you you move to uh, the new version of the compiler and you want to stay in compatibility mode, you won't have any problems. But as soon as you flip that switch to move to Swift 3.1 then I suppose you will have uh, an error in this case if you have this single argument, any function, um, and you're misusing that in your code. Yeah, that's that's my understanding of it too. Um, I'm, I'm a bit fuzzy on the details, like whether or not it'll be a warning in Swift 3.1, um, because in that sense, I guess you could say that it would kind of be source breaking because if in Xcode you treat warnings as errors, uh, then your code won't compile, but right. it'll be because of a warning. I mean, that's certainly the way I would go. I'm, I'm just not sure of the specifics if that's actually going to happen. Perhaps you're right. I think that's probably more reasonable to just give a bunch of warnings for all of these issues. And at that point, the next big release would be Swift 4, in which point it would error. And then... Uh, hopefully, moving on from Swift 4, um, these kinds of things would, would right. not happen as much. But even with the Swift 4 compiler, part of this work uh, on source stability is to provide this uh, Swift version mode right. uh, for the compiler. So that, say, when Xcode 9 comes out all shiny and new and bug-free, um, <laughs> that uh, you'll be able to specify, much like the use legacy Swift version uh, flag right now in your build settings in Xcode, or uh, another way to, to use that is the Swift underscore version uh, parameter when, when you're running with Xcode build. Uh, you might be able to specify, oh, I want all of the uh, fancy new Swift 4 features or, or compiler fixes rather, but I still want to be able to compile my old uh, Swift 3 code bugs and all. Right, right. All of my, my old invalid Swift syntax. That's right. Still compile. Yeah. 
and and this is really not the first time that um, people have had code that they've used uh, out in the wild, and then Apple has um, fixed the bug that caused that code to work. So, like one of the things that comes to mind is that uh, again with single argument. Uh, methods and closures and functions, uh, if you were passing in a type rather than an instance or a, val- or a value or variable, you were able to omit the dot self. So say, you know, you had, uh, actually we use this in, in Realm where you have realm.objects and then you pass in the type, so you get this nice type safe query engine. Um, it used to be so elegant because you could just do realm.objects person. Right, and you'd have this type safe reference to a type, and that was a bug. The dot self was um, intended to always be required, and so in one of the versions of Swift two, I think it was Swift two dot two, that transition broke a bunch of code because it said, "Well, all of a sudden, uh, this is now required." And you know, these are are kind of areas of the language sometimes where it's not you know, exactly documented that. Um, you know, sometimes you just say, well, it works. Uh, it must be, it must be by, in, by intent. It must be on purpose. Right. Uh, sometimes that's not quite the case. Right. You know, I've always thought that uh, type.self syntax was a bit awkward and, and strange. There's a, Erica Sidun drafted a proposal um, that ended up, I think, being deferred until later um, to kind of refine that. Um, and, uh, I, I would definitely like to see that changed. In the yeah, I, if I recall correctly, with with the uh, discussion around that proposal, um, it's something that uh, I think the core team is is open to and probably even wants. But that uh, there's currently um, some edge cases in the parser that would kind of make it hard to determine in in some cases uh, when something is a type or a reference right. Um, right. to to another declaration. There's also the um, self dot dynamic type um right you know, which, which was changed to type of in swift 3 oh that did change that's right okay but the type dot self is still there uh yes type dot self is still there okay yeah, and and that as of i think swift 2.2 is actually required uh, but anyway, that that just really goes to show that you might be using code um, in your own code bases. Uh, you <laughs> might be part of the problem. Uh, no, but uh, it's actually quite likely that uh, you know it's it's kind of amazing at all sometimes that our code compiles. So we're just so happy. We just move on and and don't think about it twice. Uh, especially if if you're trying to work around a Swift compiler seg fault, or if you're um, really just shipping software. Uh, and not super familiar with the intricacies of um, exactly what what the language is designed to do, uh, it's very easy to fall into these traps of using um, kind of undocumented and really uh, technically bugs in the Swift language uh, at your advantage. And we've seen that in practice as well. Entire libraries have been written on this, right? Exactly. So there's um, this Swift library called Dollar, which is uh, a functional tool belt for uh, Swift. Um, they say similar to Lodash or underscore.js, if you're familiar with uh, those. Uh, but it provides a lot of uh, kind of nice um, functional tools uh, to use in Swift. And the entire library is really built around exploiting this bug in the compiler where you can use the dollar sign 
as an identifier. So for example, uh, this library provides this function. Uh, you can have dollar sign dot contains, and then you can pass it uh, an array and then pass it a value and it'll return, you know, whether or not uh, that is that value is contained in the array. So you have all these different uh, uh, kind of helpers, this like kind of nice syntax sugar on top of the, the Swift standard library, basically, uh, to give you some of these uh, more functional expressions in Swift. But on the mailing list a while back, uh, this came up once the, the Swift team realized uh, that this was possible and it wasn't supposed to be. And the author of the library, uh, Ankur Patel, uh, hopefully I'm saying his, his name right, he drafted a proposal for this. Uh, so it's SC144. Uh, and uh, the, the purpose of the, the proposal was to actually allow this, to keep uh, the single dollar sign as a valid identifier. Um, and there's a lot of discussion on the mailing list. And uh, eventually the, the decision from the community and the core team was uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love uh, Chris Latner's basically rejection um, rationale, you know, the, the one that's actually linked to from the proposal. Um, and, and it basically just says, yeah, everyone was opposed to this, mostly because it makes the language complex uh, for just a single library. And he acknowledges it, it is unfortunate that this is out in the wild and there are some users, but it's never designed to be used like that. And so it really was this library that was basically built around exploiting a bug. Now, to, to anchor Patel's um, defense, it's not like it was documented that, oh, you should never use the dollar sign as an identifier because it's invalid, but we just have a bug, right? In all likelihood, um, the Swift core team just probably wasn't acutely aware of this this issue. And by the time they came around to fixing it, entire libraries had been built on this. Um, Yeah, exactly. Even though it's probably just the one. Yeah, and so... um... There's actually the PR to remove this from uh, Robert Widman, aka Codify, uh, on Twitter and GitHub. There, there's kind of a funny discussion there, uh, trying to figure out what to do to not just completely break the world for people who are like using this library. And uh, Chris Latner asked, actually suggested a, a fix me um, to switch the dollar sign identifier to actually like the emoji dollar sign yeah that's fantastic (laughs) and he says yes i'm serious uh (sighs) and in that way i mean uh because swift is unicode compliant and you can use emoji as identifiers that would actually work so i don't know if if that's what this author will do in dollar uh switch to the dollar sign emoji but it's probably not as easy to type Uh, (laughs) But uh, it would be interesting to to see that. What you don't have all emojis mapped to keyboard shortcuts? <laughs> what are you doing? Right, I need that touch bar. And you call yourself a Swift developer? <laughs> oh, terrible. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think currently in Swift four, uh, you'd have to use like the backticks to make that a quote valid identifier. That's right. right. And to... you can basically turn anything into a valid identifier if you backtick it. Right. But then even in usage, you'd have to say like backtick, dollar sign, backtick, That's dot, right. whatever. That's right. Which is pretty ugly. I don't, I don't think anyone wants to do that. No, I don't yeah. think that's what this, uh, this user intended. Right. Well, 
might be a death of a library then. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm sure it'll survive, um, although probably begrudgingly uh, use another exclamation or punctuation character. You have to find another Swift compiler bug uh, to yeah. exploit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's com- it's bug-driven development, right? <laughs> Where you look at these niches in the compiler of things that it shouldn't let you do. Yeah. That way, all of your libraries have a ticking time bomb <laughs> until Apple discovers that you're exploiting this bug. Yeah, it's like a new version of LeftPad. <laughs> That's right. Right, so really this this issue about um, using single any argument functions, um, this, this dollar sign change as well. Uh, there's a number of other um, bugs that have been identified and even fixed uh, with special provisions put in for this th- Swift 3 kind of legacy buggy mode uh, that the compiler can run in. Um, what are some other ones, Jesse? Yeah, there's one more that had a pretty big impact. Um, but in this situation, variadic parameters, um, closures of variadic parameters, and uh, Slava actually uh, had the PR to uh, address this issue as well. Uh, if you want to follow along, it's uh, 4878 uh, on the main Swift repo. Uh, and the bug here was that in Swift 3, the semantics of uh, escaping closures changed from to default to uh, no escape, to be non-escaping. And so previously, there was the at no escape uh, keyword that changed to at escaping to say this closure that I'm passing to this function is escaping and the default without that attribute would mean that it does not escape. And so uh, the problem here was that when you had variadic parameters of closures, so some kind of closure dot 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 uh, that you would pass to a function, uh, the compiler would incorrectly always mark them as escaping. That's right. Yeah. So this default wasn't applied in this very specific edge case. And uh, since it's always difficult to explain code um, uh, verbally, you know, on a podcast, uh, one example of how you might actually use this, if if you might actually be hitting this, uh, this edge case in your own code, if you have uh, a function that takes in an arbitrary number of of closures or other functions. Um, so an example of that could be like run in parallel and you could pass it one function you, or you could pass it 30 and it would just um, run all of those in, in parallel, right? So if you use this syntax of uh, closure dot, dot, dot. So for example, like void to void dot, 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 um, then you'd be affected by this, by this bug where if you were expecting that those closures cannot escape, uh, that, uh, well, you might have accidentally actually been escaping due to uh, this no escape not being applied by default in this case. Yeah, and uh, if you look at the commit message, it's funny to look back on this now because uh, Slava writes, this is technically a source-breaking change, but only on invalid code, I think. <laughs> and uh it's it's funny because all all these other cases have now come up where there is in this case it was maybe not extremely apparent in the moment uh but now like with dollar.swift and the the other changes we mentioned so far those were like very glaring problems that were definitely errors definitely invalid syntax but 
they have to carry those forward uh, and accommodate those until Swift 3.1 and Swift 4. That's right. And I think all of this really just goes to show that uh, Apple is really committed to um, minimizing the pain of updating to the latest and greatest version of Swift when it does come around, because it'll mean that you can use Xcode 9 within Swift 3 mode and still keep these bugs around um, to keep your code compiling. And so I think it's great that they're doing this. Um, you know, and we look at uh, we look at the Swift two to Swift three transition that we're just now completing, and Apple just recently, just last week, released Xcode eight point two, which is the last release of Xcode to support Swift two x. Right, and there's actually a warning if you're using Swift legacy mode in your Xcode project, it'll say, uh, "Oh, hey, uh, Swift two three is deprecated. You should probably move to Swift three at some point." We hear it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> It says it in exactly those terms. Here we are, um, you know, probably still several months away before we get the next version of Xcode, which fully uh, removes this this functionality to compile Swift 2.x. And so it really shows Apple's kind of commitment to um, uh, helping people who can't necessarily update right away. Yeah, exactly. And another thing is to um, kind of take a step back and realize and uh, reflect on this a bit. Uh, this is actually really expensive development work. There's a lot of effort being put into making sure that projects don't break moving forward and having these different compatibility modes, basically building all of this uh, source compatibility infra into the Swift compiler. So I just want to make a note of that. Like, There's all this infra that the core team is having to build out to accommodate this huge influx of changes and to prevent these like painful migrations going forward um, to allow people to migrate uh, more so on their own time as opposed to like really, you know, forcing users to upgrade immediately, uh, which I imagine is going to be really nice for these companies with these really large code bases. Code bases, right? We're starting starting to hear from companies that have uh, apps with sixty, eighty, a hundred thousand lines of Swift code, and it's it's kind of mind boggling um, to see that uh, they can invest all of the engineering resources to update to the latest and greatest Swift version. We saw Kickstarter just release their iOS app written in Swift. It's it's still using Swift two dot x, um, and so it's not exactly easy, especially for small teams on big apps to invest the time to uh, just update your Swift version when uh, you have features to ship, when you have bugs to fix. Right. Um, and especially when you can't just do it piecemeal. You know, you can't say, oh, well, I'm just going to convert this view controller to use Swift 3 and the rest will use Swift 2. Uh, no, actually, you can't do that. Uh, it's either fully opt-in or not at all. And you know, over over at Realm, we actually co- collect some fairly minimal um, and anonymized usage information of of our libraries, uh, and it's really invaluable because uh, it's what's allowed us to realize that hey, there's actually even now several months after uh, Swift 3's general availability and an official release, uh, there's still almost a third of our active users, of which there's quite a few, um, that uh, they're still in Swift 2.x. And, you know, this isn't even counting projects um, probably that uh, haven't been 
necessarily on the cutting edge to like adopt a third party persistence framework you know this isn't counting people who are even slower to adopt you know who are stuck with you know a years old code base using you know other other solutions um, and so it really goes to show that even months after a new Swift version, even though if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably still fairly on the cutting edge of things, but uh, that might not be representative of the developer community as a whole. So it really goes to show that uh, this effort is probably driven at least to some extent by some data uh, on, on Apple's side. Um, they probably have some idea of how many people are still on older Xcode versions, I would imagine. Uh, because otherwise, really, why would they be going through all of this effort to um, support bugs moving forward? That that must be the case. They must know that people are not moving to Swift 3 very quickly. And I'm sure that's part of the impetus here to say, okay, we, you know, people are not moving because it's such a massive change. We need to, like, make sure we accommodate this. Otherwise, um, people are not going to uh, keep adopting uh, the latest versions of Swift. And uh, I think that's ultimately, I think that will be very detrimental to the language if you have people on these older versions that aren't moving forward, mostly because they won't be able to give feedback on the the latest versions and uh, kind of help the language move forward if they're stuck on some legacy version. Yeah. Well, I think that just about sums up uh, what we wanted to talk about, which was mostly around source stability um, for this episode. So, Jesse, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at jesse underscore squires or jessesquires.com. And you can find me at simjp on Twitter. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>